series is following Jesus into challenging places. And I guess when one of the topics was schools and universities, I just thought, oh, well, I should, I should choose that one. Um, I've been involved in schools, for those of you who don't know me, uh, for about, uh, well, <laughs> since I started my working life, my entire working life without a break. Um, I've been involved in schools either as a teacher, um, a scripture union schools worker, and shout out to Smash Camp, uh, Christian camps are just fabulous. I became a Christian on one. I'm sure lots of people did. Scripture union runs great outreach camps, um, or, and, and now as a chaplain. So many different roles. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm the senior chaplain at Somerville House Girls School. That's why we're at the Plaza Ballroom. Um, and, um, and have been there for quite some time now. Um, but uh, it's, as, I was, as I thought about having volunteered for this, I thought it's ac- it was actually a little bit tricky when I came to put the words together because it's sort of like it's the air that I breathe. You know, and I've been breathing it for over 40 years now um, in one way or another, working in schools. And so sorting out exactly what to say was actually not as easy as I'd sort of thought that it might be. So... Um, but and, and I guess um, I'm, I'm certainly going to uh, tailor what I say to university students as well. And I've asked that the, um, the, the, the Voyagers stay in today just because I'm hoping it might connect a little bit. So please don't goof off, those of you in Year 6 to Year 8. I'll try very hard to make it relevant for you as well too. I really do like, one of the things I like about this is that the series is called, um, it's about following Jesus to these sort of places, to wherever it is that we're talking about each week. It's not about taking him to these places. It's about following Jesus to these places because the first thing to realise is that we're not taking him there, you know. Jesus is at work already uh, in our schools and universities and everywhere else um, and it's we have the incredible privilege of going in there and being a part of what he's already doing and I think that's fantastic and I have a, a story that... Um, you know, sometimes the little things in life are incidents that sort of you never forget. And this one involves, um, so we're following Jesus, not taking him. Oh, there we go. That's, um, that's, I get to see those girls in green every day. So we're going to school and we're going to uni today. Um, and I'm going to start off talking about wheelie bins. Um, so this, is, this story illustrates what I'm saying about following Jesus, not taking him. A number of years ago, I was um, on a weekend up the Sunshine Coast with a group of church people, about a dozen of us jammed into our little beach house at Malulabar. Some of you might be aware also, uh, my grandparents, um, over 80 years ago now, had the foresight to buy a, or build a little beach house at Malulabar. I think, I think um, at that stage, the land cost them £75 and the house cost the same to build. The house is still worth £75. But, but the land at Malulabar has gone up a bit. Um, but we had the little old beach house and, and we were up there, the 12 of us uh, adults jammed into um, the, the, the house and having a wonderful weekend together. And I'd, I'd realised at the start of the weekend there was another little old beach house next to ours and not everybody at Malulabar, yeah, but there's some interesting characters that live there. And I noticed that um, our wheelie bin was missing from our yard and that the wheelie bin, our, the, the, the ne- house place next door had two wheelie bins. And I thought, oh, obviously one of those wheelie bins is ours. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to go over there uh, some stage this weekend and ask for the wheelie bin back. And I was a bit nervous about that because there were some interesting looking um, young male characters living in the house at the time. And so at the end of the weekend, um, I, I chose the biggest, tallest, broadest male of our group. Um, as that's Ulrich, for those of you who know Ulrich. Um, and I said, Ulrich, will you come with me while I go over next door? And I'm going to talk to the guys there about getting our wheelie bin back. And Ulrich said, sure. So we walked across, no fence between the properties, walk across when I saw the guy out there with the wheelie bins. And we got about halfway across the yard and I'm starting to get a bit nervous. What am I going to say? You know, I'm shaking a little bit, whatever. And suddenly Ulrich just stepped around me. I, I get emotional when I talk about it. He stepped around me, walked, walked ahead 
and he did the negotiating. You know, he said, excuse me, mate, I think you might have accidentally taken one of our wheelie bins. And Ulrich's about six foot tall, six foot three or something, and four foot broad. broad. And, uh, you know, and, and the guy said, oh, oh, yes, of course, mate, here's your wheelie bin. And it was this incredible sense of relief that he did that for me. And I think it's a bit like that when we go to school and we go to uni. It can feel very daunting. Uh, even when we go to work, wherever you're working, uh, it can feel very daunting to walk into these places when the majority of people don't think like us, aren't like us, and we have a message that we want to share with them. It can feel daunting. But to know that actually it's not us, it's about God. Just like Ulrich took over, God takes over. God is the one who's at work in those places before we even get there. And it's a huge relief, and I encourage all the students and teachers and, and staff, anyone who has to do with schools, it takes the pressure off to realise it's the Holy Spirit's job to convert people and bring them to Jesus. That is not our job. Um, our, you know, our job is to faithfully and accurately proclaim the message, both by word and by deed. The Bible talks a lot more about our deeds being a witness, I think, um, as well as our words. Um, it's not our job to convert people, because that would be incredibly difficult. And uh, particularly for those of you that are in state schools, working in, in secular schools, uh, and my school, I know it's a privilege, I know it's a lot easier than a lot of places, but the vast majority of people are not Christian. Um, and it is a challenge. Uh, it, it is God who's at work drawing people to himself. We just get the privilege of being part of someone much bigger and taller and broader than us um, doing his work. And, and the reason it's tough is because the scriptures say that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. And, and those spiritual blindfolds, we are not capable of removing. Uh, but God himself is. And uh, so what a privilege to be a part of his work. And you never know with the people that you're dealing with day by day what God is doing. We are just part of many threads that God is using to declare the message of Jesus to our friends. We don't know who else might be influencing them. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of people don't talk about spiritual things. We're in a particular time in history, and I'll talk a bit more about this later on, uh, in our part of the world where, you know, it's sort of, it sort of it feels like Christianity is on the wane in some ways. Um, uh, it, people don't talk about about God, but we, we, we just don't know what they're actually thinking inside. And I, I, a myth I'd like to dispel is that, you know, the, the students and the teachers and the parents that we're working with, um, it's not that they're, they're disinterested in Jesus. They just don't know about him most of the time. They just don't know much about him. Uh, and they may be a lot more interested than what we realise um, one of the things that drew me to becoming a Christian um, at, when I was at school uh, was this incredible sense when I was in, in year 10 um, about what life was about. I, I, um, if anyone knows me, whatever I do, I do wholeheartedly. And um, I discovered in year 10, I wasn't, I'm not much good at running. I'm good in the pool. I used to, you know, I'm, I'm very, I, I love sport and I support sport. And I, I was on the school swimming team and, and, uh, and, and, I, and I sort of played a few different games. But I discovered in year 10 the wonderful sport of volleyball because you didn't have to run. You just got to hit things. And uh, I had two younger sisters, so that was really good. That sort of suited me well. Um, but, you know, I, 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 and as with anything in my life, I really got into it. So we became the B team, my friends and I, when I twisted their arms to join. And we'd train, you know, day and night, you know, lunchtime, after school, whatever. And at the end of the season, we did quite well. But at the end of the season, I had this incredible sense of letdown. You know how you do after a big event? It's like, like a grand final or you young people, if you're playing a sports match, it was like, oh, you know, I think the ball committee is probably feeling that this morning, if they're, if they're awake yet. Um, but, uh, you know, it's that sense of, oh, what do I do now? And I got this, you know, I got to thinking about life and there's got to be more to it than just this waking up every day, going to work or going to school, um, 
getting an education, getting a job, getting married, having a family. Oh, missed that bit. Um, and, and then sort of so that they can get a good education, get a job, have a family. That sort of senseless cycle of life started to weigh on my mind. And that's really the first thing that drew me to thinking seriously about Christianity. So don't ever assume, and my friends, I used to argue against my friends who were Christians at school, don't ever assume your friends uh, um, aren't interested because you just never know what God is doing in their heart and what strange things he's using uh, to draw them closer to him. For sure, some of them may be turned off Christianity at the moment, but many people are looking for something bigger than themselves to believe in. Many of people are struggling, you know, with the purpose of life. And if we don't share with them, They'll never know. And there is a, there is a very challenging verse that it's, it's good to remind ourselves of. It's good to be challenged. If you're ashamed of me and of my teachings in this godless and wicked day, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So we do need to take the opportunities that we have. And, uh, um, you know, and, and we, we can't control what people, how people are going to react. And sometimes the reaction might be quite negative. But again, maybe they just want us to push back. Um, we can't control their reaction, but our job is to be faithful in proclaiming Jesus. But how on earth do we do that in difficult places? And I want to tell you briefly at this point, um, and this is, again, God at work, and I love to um, in- integrate things that are happening in my school. But, um, you know, we've been through a period where I really began to wonder, oh, you know, we felt like we were going backwards at school in terms of the Christian life of the school. But just suddenly in the last couple of months, some amazing things have happened. A lovely faithful lady who comes in and prays with us uh, each Thursday morning, group of staff and a few parents, um, just asked me, how many Christians are there these days on the uh, PMSA council? That's the council that runs our four schools. And a few years ago, it was hard to find one. There's now six Christians there, you know, thanks to the hard work of some very faithful Presbyterians. Um, And I thought, that's really excellent. And then then just the other day, we had our leadership... um, uh, elections for the next 12 months for the student leaders and uh, I, I run the we've got a Christian fellowship group at school which is also an outreach group um, and I look after the year 11s and we, I knew they were pretty impressive girls by the way they'd push back on me as to what we were going to be doing when we got together but uh, it turns out that one of them is school captain one of them is school vice captain there is another vice captain as well and the girl who's school, school captain it's just so exciting her dad's the uh, principal of the Presbyterian Theological College actually but right from when she was in year seven she's never been afraid to share her faith and she she was surprised that she got the position I wasn't particularly surprised um, but you know it, it was just lovely she'll she'll walk past the classroom and you know stick her head in and go hey so-and-so see you at youth on Friday night and and it starts a conversation about what's youth what do you mean what's that on Friday night she's just got this unashamed approach and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the year ahead I think it's going to be really really good So how do we follow Jesus to school? Because it can be very overwhelming in a very secular environment. We're going to have our Bible reading in just a sec. Um, Actually, I'll invite um, Kayla and... um, Sorry. Nadia, sorry, Nadia. Uh, Kayla and Nadia are up. I should explain just before they do the reading. It comes from Daniel chapter 1. Uh, when I want to be really mean at school, if there's somebody I don't like, a student that's annoyed me, um, on, on assembly when we have Bible readings and a devotion each week, I actually um, I get them to read the story of Daniel and Mephibosheth because pronouncing Mephibosheth, the, the name gets mentioned about 15 times in the section. It's just great. I just love listening to them. Stumble. No, I don't. I'm not really like that. <laughs> I get them to practice beforehand, but these girls are very brave. Give them a hand, actually, because there's a lot of odd names. Some pretty odd names in this uh, reading from Daniel. Just to give you the context before they start, this is, it comes at a time in Israel's history, the second exile, when things looked like they could not get worse in terms of Israel's relationship with their God. 
Um, and, you know, they, Jerusalem had been invaded, the walls and the temple had been smashed down, as well as everything else. And a number of um, key young people um, were taken into captivity in Babylon. So here we have a group of God's people away from God's land, out of God's temple and city, and in the midst of the Babylonians, a very, very foreign culture. And uh, one of them, of course, is a young man called Daniel. So let's, uh, let's listen to, to Daniel and his friend's story. Just on. Cool. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim. <laughs> Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and the other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hanina, Mishael, Azaria, and, <laughs> and Azaria were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. <laughs> Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to, your, to the other youths of your age, I am afraid the king will have be beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hanina, Mishael and Azariah. Please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make a decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret, to interpret the meaning of vis visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the, ch yeah. the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> the king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle and Azaria. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Excellent. Give them a hand. That was excellent. Well done. Thank you so much.
it's a tough passage. Thank you, girls. Um, it's, uh, uh, the context and the culture of Daniel's time, the situation he found himself in, I think is a bit like us as we go to school and go to uni um, here at the moment um, in Queensland. I think the first thing that we need to do in, um, in dealing with this uh, is to recognise uh, that the culture that we live in is in opposition to the values of God's kingdom. And we need to recognise where that is. And you've got to be very discerning because there's not necessarily anyone there to tell you. Um, but you've got to sort of think about what God's word says and think about what you're being asked to do or what's going on around you and work out where the differences are. And that's what Daniel and his friends did. They were being asked to eat all this, eat all this food that for their religion was unclean. Uh, it was food that they shouldn't be eating. And uh, so, so they kind of recognise that straight away. What about us? What about our culture? Our culture is very much driven by materialism, by that need to succeed and to gain as much as we can in this life. Um, hedonism, you know, the, the search for pleasure. And certainly that's what a lot of people are on about. They just want to have fun, want to have a good time. Um, that's the thing that really matters in life. It's a very self-serving kind of a culture uh, where people are on about themselves, perhaps their own family, but nobody much beyond that. A lot of people are in that kind of uh, situation. And it's a culture that's lacking boundaries. You know, why should I not do that? You know, there's a real kind of a licentiousness almost in our culture. So we've got to recognise where the culture that we live in is in opposition to the values of God's kingdom and seek to live differently. And you've got to live smart, you know. And I'm perfectly aware when I went to this ball last night that this is, you know, extravagance. And my job on the night is to bless their extravagance at the start of the night by saying grace. Uh, and that's really tricky. And so I try to think, how can I, even in the grace that I say, you know, make a, make a couple of comments and make a bit of a point Let's remember those who have no food or those who have food but none to share, share it with, etc. You know, so you just try to kind of work out where is, um, don't get sucked into the values. Yes, it was a great night and I had a good time too, but it's, it's not, um, not what really matters. And so the second thing I think is to be up front. Oh, those, those are the, sorry, I keep forgetting. I've forgotten what I put on the slide. It's too long since I looked at it. Whoops, there you go. That's what our culture's about, I think, these days, isn't it? And those are the things we need to look out for. Those are not actually the things that... Uh, uh, are important. The second thing about uh, uh, that I think we can do in response to what's happening around us at school and at uni is to, to be upfront about not conforming to things uh, that are in opposition to God's word. As, as Daniel and his friends refused to eat the special food, refused, refused to bow down to the statue the king had set up. And if you've been in children's church for long enough or church, I'm sure we know the story about uh, the friends, Daniel's friends thrown into the fire for refusing to bow down to the statue and, and the remarkable way God rescued them. Daniel being thrown into the lion's den um, for refusing to, um, to, 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 or to cease praying to his God. And I think when we go to school or we go to uni, sometimes it's just about the things that we don't do that are the most powerful witness. I was talking uh, to our Year 12 students recently and we had some university students come to talk to them about being Christians at uni, um, our Christian girls. And uh, you know, even they, now that some of them have turned 18, are struggling with some of these issues, you know, and it's... Um, there's sort of you go to a uni, university college. One of them who's a boarder said, "How do you be a Christian in a university college? Because the culture there is all about drinking and partying and and whatever. And and it's just sometimes it's just not joining in and doing other things instead. You don't want to. Uh, but but it's that it's that what we don't conform to that actually becomes powerful. If you're at school or at uni, you know, there's a lot of people who um, are suffering from what I would call digital addiction. Um, and, you know, I'm on the edge of that myself sometimes, I think. But uh, to, to kind of not be someone who just lives their whole life online and sort of doesn't do real things with people. 
Um, it, there's, there's the issue of pornography, which is such a huge issue amongst young people, just being someone who keeps away from all of that sort of stuff, someone who keeps away from gossip and swearing and, and someone who doesn't pick on other people or criticise people um, out of their own insecurity. You know, to just stay away from those kind of things at school and at uni are a very powerful witness. I think the third thing that we can do is that we can serve our masters and bosses as well as we can to be excellent and to get into positions of influence. And this is one of the things I love about Daniel. He and his friends did such a good job with their studies and, and with their, um, uh, the way they lived that they ended up being promoted and they were, there was no one found better than them. And I'm not suggesting that our Christian students should always be ducks of the school or anything, but just doing the very best that you can uh, and, and getting yourself into those positions of influence, you might be surprised. And when you're in those positions, um, it, it is incredibly powerful. I think of that young school captain incoming school captain and uh, she really was quite shocked um, about getting the position but she's now in a position of huge influence she gets to speak on assembly every week and uh, you know she won't talk about her faith every week I'm sure but she'll be able to inject things um, and the other girls certainly know where she stands we've got a new principal coming in next year and what an incredible thing the first year she's there to have a Christian school captain and a Christian vice captain it kind of sets the tone doesn't it and that'll be her expectation that that's what we do um, and so it's, 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 it's wonderful. I remember years ago when I was working at Script Union, the uh, uh, boss of Script Union, Fiji, had a son. Uh, and he and his mates at uni university over in Fiji decided that how to become really influential in their country, whose who's, um, economy was still very much emerging, was to come to Australia and New Zealand to study, to, to make that sacrifice, to study, uh, to get degrees over here, so that when they went back, they would become people in positions of influence. And it was very, very powerful. They did that. About 15 young people uh, from their university Christian group were challenged about this. And they came to, you know, at great sacrifice, left their culture, came to New Zealand and Australia got um, the degrees from good universities, went back, and sure enough, they've been promoted into high positions in the government uh, and in the country. So, you know, if we serve our masters and bosses as well as we can to be excellent and get into those positions of influence, um, that's a great way to deal with the situations that we find ourselves in. I think we need to be ready, though, for jealousy and persecution. And uh, we need to be ready for that in this day and age. Uh, it says that the other uh, enchanters and, and um, young people were jealous of Daniel and his success because Daniel was promoted to the highest position um, you know, in, the, in the land underneath the king. And uh, it, it, was, it, it is going to bring jealousy and persecution. And people who will then try to find ways to undermine your faith, unfortunately the worst of it can come out like that. Um, and that edict that uh, was brought against Daniel, they knew the only thing they could get him on was his worship of God. And so they brought in an edict, or they convinced the king, appealed to his narcissism that, uh, you know, people shouldn't pray to anyone, you know, any other gods except to the king. And uh, that put Daniel in a, in a position where he had to decide, do I give up praying or do I not? And sometimes, you know, there are certain things that I think we can go along with in the culture around us. And there are certain things we can't go along with. And obviously, prayer to God is one of those. And I heard a story recently, just, it's just that for those of you who maybe don't have a lot to do with schools and your children are past that age, um, this is the sort of environment we're in. At a, a school here in Brisbane, one of the Christian parents from my school was sharing this about a young girl from her church, uh, a government school. Um, during Pride Month, uh, the students were told they had to wear a rainbow badge. And uh, this little girl didn't want to do that. She wore her cross because she's a Christian. And the teacher told her to take it off. And uh, she went home, had a chat with her mum, and they wear it. So she did. And uh, this time, this little girl was very bright and was always doing very well at the school. This time, the, 
that failure to comply with the school uniform means you won't qualify for the honours list this semester. So, and it's, it, it can be pretty tough out there to do what you believe is the right thing to do. And each of us have to come to our own mind about things. I mean, one of the biggest issues facing young people in schools at the moment uh, is uh, in the culture wars is the whole gender identity and the pressures that they're facing. And we have to be very careful how we respond to that. We don't want to sort of... Um, you know, in a sense, we want to stay very much focused on the fact that people are broken and that we all need God's love and we all need God's um, redemption, um, not to jump on bandwagons on, on either side too much there. But uh, we have to be careful how we respond in these culture wars, as I think we've heard earlier this year. Um, but by the same token, we need to know when we need to stand up for what we're, what we're doing. So, um, as I said, um, part of what we, we do, how this works in practice, are the things that we don't do. I think I've said enough about that. Um, the second thing we can do, though, is to build Christian community. Um, this is a, a great thing to do, um, I think, when you're at school and at uni as well, too. Find the other Christians and get together. We had a girl turned up at our Year 11 group the other day, and uh, in Year 10, she was in my class, and she was a rat bag, you know. Um, and, and she really, really was a rat bag. And, and she just sort of said to me, when does Summer Circle meet? I said, oh, this lunchtime. She says, is it just there in that room? I said, yeah, yeah. So along she came with her lunch, and she was just sharing that she'd gotten involved in a youth group um, uh, in, in the area where she lives, and the leader of the youth group happened to be one of our former students and her husband, um, and she said, they're just such lovely people. I'm just going to keep going back because they're such nice people. You know, people are looking for community, and I think a lot of the pastoral work that I end up having to do is because people aren't identified with churches anymore. And so they don't know where to go when something happens. And uh, I think building community with your Christian friends, having a good time with your friends without getting involved in negative things. So the stuff that they do on Smash Camp is just fantastic. You know, it's great fun. And it's not, um, you know, it's stuff that's not damaging. It's not uh, negative. It's just, just great fun together. And I think when, when you've got a plague of loneliness going on, just be a friend. And again, I want, to share, I want to share what happened with me when I was at school. Um, the reason I got involved in the Christian group originally was a group of friends, um, one of whom happened to be Stella's uncle, actually, um, when I was at school. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I, my best friend, we, lived at, we grew up at Ashgrove, we went to Oakley Primary School together. Um, she lived in a little house just near that BP service station, um, just um, on, off, off Woodell Street, um, Stewart Road. And in this 1974 flood, her little house, little square wooden house, there was one next door upstream that was empty and sitting on, both sitting on stumps. The one next door lifted off its stumps in the 74 floods, smashed into my friend's house and went floating off down the creek and ended up at the Newmarket Caravan Park, if any of you know um, th that part of town. And I never saw my friend again. That was it. We didn't have social media. I never found her phone number anywhere. And suddenly my best friend was gone. We'd gone on to high school together. We were in about year nine or ten at that stage. And I was suddenly on my own, you know, at school. And I, I'd sat, sat by myself, you know, there were a couple of friends I had but didn't sort of work out really well. And one day, um, these two girls in my geography class, one of them just said to me, do you want to sit with us? That changed my life. You know, that sort of brought me into this group of friends who were Christians. There were six of them who were Christians. Well, one was a Christian at that stage, and one by one, everyone else became a Christian. But if that girl hadn't reached out and said, do you want to sit with us? I don't know where I'd be today. You know, that completely turned my life around. So those of you at school, it's as simple as being a good friend. You know, that can make a huge difference in people's life. So, you know, we've got this plague of loneliness that people talk about. Be a friend to people who are on their own. And, of course pray for your friends and get people praying for you because you are a missionary in your own backyard. We're going to do that at the end of this service um, and I'll, I'll go through this next little bit very quickly. 
um, we're going to do that at the end of the service is pray for our students and teachers and other staff uh, in schools because uh, it is really tough there these days. I just wanted to highlight something that Graham sort of pointed out to us a few weeks ago, which I thought was excellent. Those um, six things that uh, uh, the research that, that non-Christians appreciate about Christian conversations and, and how these things apply at school and at uni too. Listening without judgment. Sometimes we need to be aware that the lifestyle the Bible talks about is for we as Christians. If you've got friends who aren't Christians, it's no use talking to them about their you know, sexual standards or anything like that because they don't know Jesus yet. I mean, you know, is that not our place to judge them? Um, our place is to share Jesus with them. So listening without, judges, without judgment is really uh, important. You know, forgiving those who've wronged you, living a life of service, that these things don't make sense if you're not a Christian. So let's just do them and not worry about judging people for what they do and not be too shocked when they tell you what they do. Um, and then the second thing that Graham talked about was uh, not forcing a conclusion. Um, and don't give your friends at uni or school the idea that they're a target for your Christianity, that you're sort of somehow wanting to put notches on your Bible or something. And, you know, it, it's, it's, we, we just want to be their friend. Um, we're not just their friend for the purpose of converting them. Allow others to draw their own conclusions. Know when to stop talking. <laughs> I'm really bad at that, um, and then start listening. Jesus used the analogy of fishing, and I often think there's different ways to fish, aren't there? In his day, it was nets. Um, I like the idea of throwing out a line with a bit of bait on it. Works pretty well, doesn't it, Micah? Yep, it's pretty good. Some people fish with dynamite. You know, they throw a stick of dynamite into a pond. I think, um, what was his name, Crocodile Dundee? Um, but, you know, it's, it's like, I don't think that's a very effective way of fishing. Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. I like the idea of the bait. Let's be subtle, let's be careful. Um, share things about being a Christian, but keep them asking. And uh, those conversations that we get into it can be so tempting to want to try to bring a conclusion, but uh, let them draw their own conclusion. Um, be confident in sharing your own perspective. Get yourself ready. Know your Bible. You won't be quoting the Bible at people who aren't Christians, probably, but you just know what the Scriptures say about things so you've got answers. And, and, and ch check about things about Christian apologetics too. There's a wonderful website called Questioning Christianity that does this. Um, and then the, uh, number five that Graham mentioned was people who demonstrate interest in other people's lives. I think it's so important uh, that, we, that we really show a genuine interest and friendship uh, in people's lives. That wonderful verse in Thessalonians I love, which is really the touchstone of my chaplaincy, is that we're, we're happy to share, we're very pleased to share not just the good news but our own lives because people have become so dear to us. And I think of what Chris Magnuson said a few weeks ago about Christians are so busy. You know, we, sometimes we can be so busy with Christian activities, we don't have that time to do stuff with our non-Christian friends. And be good at asking questions. People love talking about themselves. You'll find that out as you go through life, those of you that are students. Um, and, and if you can sort of not talk about yourself or just be interested in, in you know, getting your own word in, uh, that'll have a huge impact on people. Uh, just a couple of um, comments that I want to share my passion with you. I do that every time I get up. Why is following Jesus to school and uni so important? To school in particular... Everyone goes there. If we can reach everyone in schools, we can reach a generation. That was the vision that the wonderful Keith Drinkle had many years ago in setting up state school chaplaincy. You know, if we can reach everyone at school, uh, we will reach a whole generation. They're at a stage in their lives where they're not yet too set in their ways. They're still sort of working out what they believe and what they think. What an incredible opportunity to have an input into people's thinking. Um, it's an environment of learning and questioning. So Christianity is something to be considered, something that um, is a reasonable faith. Be ready to give answers for the hope that is within you and to, to, get, to give that to people. 
And I think learning to share your faith at a young age is a terrific thing. A few years ago, I was on the Scripture Union Training Week camp visiting our girls who were up there. And there was one of the leaders was a Baptist pastor from central Queensland. And he had been a, a boy at BBC. Those of you that remember telling, me telling BBC stories years ago when I was teaching there. And in my first year there, we, uh, one of the other staff had the brilliant idea of um, doing Christianity Explained. He said, I've got nine year nine boys, year eight boys who really, you know, they're ready to find out more about Jesus. And he said, how about we train some of the older boys? to do the course the Christian Explained course and then share that with the younger ones he said you train the older ones and I'll run it run, run, you know supervise them with the younger ones so we set up this thing for about six weeks I'd have a meeting with the year 10 11 12 Christian boys we'd go through lesson one then the next day they'd do lesson one you know with that group of nine boys that group of nine boys, um, two of them became scripture union workers, one's a pastor in his church, quite interesting. Um, but, you know, this young man who was at the camp, he was actually one of the year 10 boys who we trained. And he said, can I sit down and have lunch with you? And he said, you know, he said, um, you, you deep-ended us when, when I was in year 10. He said, it was such a good thing. You really pushed us there to share our faith. He said, I've met people now in my church who are 40 or 50, have never talked to anyone about Jesus. I was doing it at 15. He said, what an incredible thing. Thank you for deep-ending us. And, uh, and pushing us into that was just a great thing. So if you learn to share your faith and talk about Jesus at a young age, I suspect you'll be doing it all your life. So start now. Don't wait.